Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning top doc show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. And thanks to Alliant Health Solutions for its support as a sponsor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Top Docs. My name is Donald Pomazano, and I'm also the MAG CEO. Today's show is going to address some insurers' recent initiative to terminate physician contracts on a widespread basis in Georgia, which would result in narrow networks and more surprise bills. Our guest today is Dr. Ashu Rao, who's an interventional radiologist with Quantum Radiology. Dr. Rao, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Rao, let me just ask you this question. Were y'all recently terminated from United Healthcare? I'd want to comment on any specific insurer, but yes, um, large for-profit insurers have been terminating groups across Georgia. And as a radiologist, you, you're, you're, you're part of a larger group of physicians That's together? That's right. Okay. So we, we've received a lot of notification, and we've also sent out a number of alerts asking physicians across the state if they've been terminated by United Healthcare. And what we've gotten back is a lot of information that they have. So the question I have to you is, not so much with United, but if you are terminated and your group is terminated within a, from, from an insurance contract, does that, can you explain, does that impact the facilities that you treat, that you provide care? Sure, sure. It's, it's very unusual, at least in the last 30 years with our group, to receive termination letters at all. Usually if insurers, insurance companies need something, they negotiate and say, hey, we'd like to talk to you about X, Y, or Z, not just sending termination letters. So how it affects us is we practice in a large hospital system, which may be in network with a specific insurance company, but if we're terminated, then mm -hmm. we're considered out of network and patients receiving treatment at those facilities would get separate bills as out-of-network. So, so these, these contracts that you have with the insurers, um, how long are they, uh, are they in place for? In general, they're evergreen. Um, we negotiate a contract. Um, we decide what the scope of services and the price that is going to be paid for those services. And then they ought to renew every single year unless one specific party or the other party decides to terminate the relationship. So just so our audience knows, when you say evergreen, that means contract automatically renews every year until one of the parties comes back and says, hey, we want to renegotiate. That's correct. And so, uh, like, like for instance, with an insurer like United, how long are those contracts? How long have you had them in place for? Uh, it depends on the insurer, but the vast majority of our contracts mm -hmm. we've had for seven to ten years. Okay, so, so when an insurance company terminates your contract in this type of situation, you're providing radiolo radiology services to the hospital for the patients that come there. Um, what does this mean for patients? It means that they would receive a bill as being out of network when they thought that they were in network for a procedure or an elective service they went in to get. So this patient would look in their book, their manual, and say, I'm going to go to this hospital because this hospital is in network, and then they're going to assume that you're in network. That's right. And again, the vast majority of groups want to be in network mm -hmm. because we work closely with the facilities, but if they're terminated by an insurer, they would be out of network and the patient would have difficulty knowing. So even, this also applies to emergency settings and, and, and elective settings. So let's say patient gets into a car accident, ambulance picks them up, brings them over to um, a hospital that is, you know, that is in network. Now you see them and, and perform you know, a procedure or, or, or read their films, they're out of network for you. That's right. Okay. And then they're going to get a surprise bill. Correct. At Correct. this point. 
Okay, so so when you see you know when you see these type of terminations that insurance companies do, especially for facility-based physicians. When I say facility-based physicians, I'm referring to emergency medicine, radiology, pathology, um, and anesthesiology. You know. Why, why do insurance companies do this when the when the hospital is in network? Well, th I think this is pretty unusual. It's not that doctors and insurance companies don't negotiate, but to receive outright terminations, which is what I hear has been happening around the state, is, is just very unusual. Usually it's a mutually beneficial relationship. You help an insurance company with their patients and they pay you for taking care of their patients just to get termination letters saying, sorry, we don't want you in network anymore. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, you know, we, we haven't seen this to this extent um, in my 14 years of being with the Medical Association of Georgia. And, um, and so when we sent out the alert, it was amazing the responses that we got back from all over the state. In fact, one chief medical officer in a rural area, in a rural area, which, you know, you, you, you've got hospitals that are 45 minutes to an hour away from one another. Um, he specifically said, that he was suddened by the sudden reimbursement cuts for the physicians that practice in the hospital. He said, um, in this case it was United Healthcare, he said um, they'll, they'll pay for the cost of the hospital but yet exclude reimbursements for anesthesia, emergency medicine, radiology, and pathology. He said, you know, it's the insurance company is in essence is saying they're comfortable with the care provided by a hospital but not by the physicians in the hospital. And that's how that particular uh, 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 physician is looking at it in terms mm -hmm. of as the chief medical officer. It's almost like a double standard. And so what's going to happen is that now the patients going to that hospital are now going to get surprise bills. That's right. And, and what impact does that have on especially a rural hospital whose margins are very, very slim and we know that um, Georgia, Georgia's rural hospitals are struggling right now. That's right. The operating margins for hospitals that are not for profit or public, which are most of these critical access hospitals, is barely zero to two percent. Most public hospitals, this is according to data from the Center mm -hmm. for American Progress, uh, says that public hospitals have a negative margin of three percent and not-for-profit hospitals that are not public have a margin somewhere between zero and two percent. So they're barely keeping their head above water. So this legislation that we're seeing nationally and at the state level uh, in which a patient shows up at a facility who may be out of network gets care, they're going to be paid a rate that's set by an arbiter or by the government or by someone else and if they can't cover their costs I'm not sure how hospitals are going to be able to keep their doors open. As you probably know, Georgia is one of the top ten states in terms of hospital closures, and when small communities lose their hospitals, the patients really lose. Yeah, you know, uh, some people say I'm a bit cynical sometimes, but when, when I look at this, it just seems ironic to me that we're in a situation where federal legislation, and in and, and, and the states, there's also state legislation addressing surprise bills, and a lot of the legislation is addressing what is the median network. That's going to be the payment made for services in a surprise billing situation. And it seems to me that all of a sudden we're seeing insurers terminate hospital-based physicians' contracts. And what impact would that have on the median rate? So the median rate is going to be a market rate that mm -hmm. is freely negotiated between insurers and providers. And when you look at all those rates, you come to a median. But by definition, half of those payers pay above the average and half pay below the average. That's the definition of the median. Mm -hmm. So to give you a concrete example, let's say uh, 
47-year-old female walks in with right upper quadrant pain to an emergency room, um, and she's got acute cholecystitis. She needs a cholecystectomy. She needs her gallbladder out. And say that the median in-network rate is $1,000. Mm -hmm. I'm just picking numbers here. Right. But that median in-network rate means that half of the providers, by definition half or above that, let's say at $1,200, and half of the providers are below that at $800, which averages the median is going to be $1,000. Now, if legislation passes that says, oh, you know what, everybody just has to pay $1,000, you don't have to have the, the facility and network, logically, everybody that's paying above $1,000 would be foolish to do anything other than drop out of network so that they can pay $1,000 instead of the $1,200 they were paying previously. But as they drop out of network, then the median network in-network price is going to have to change. They can't keep that price forever. So the next time it's updated, well, there's nobody at $1,200. There's only people paying $800. Um, right. So the new median in-network rate drops down to $800. And so what it is, it's a race to the bottom because eventually anybody right. above the median, which is 50% of the people that are paying higher, are all going to drop out, but all that does is slowly ratchet down the level of payment until, frankly, it's non-sustainable. I'm sure you know that MedPAC, the Medicare Advisory Payment Commission, which testifies to Congress every year about the state of Medicare and the payments, in their most current report, which is 2019, says that hospitals lose about a 10% margin on every single Medicare patient, and they're forecasting for the following year, 2020, that it's going to drop down to 11%. If hospitals lose all that money on Medicare patients, as as the government itself right. who pays for it expects hospitals to lose 11%. And we know that hospitals barely break even, not-for-profit hospitals certainly barely break even. Where is the money to keep the doors open coming from? It's coming from private insurance contracts. And if we use median in-network rate that's updated, it will slowly go down past the point of where hospitals can be viable because right. that's where the money to keep the doors open comes from. And, and I think we need to be clear that when we say median in-network rate, you don't know what the median in-network rate is. You're being told by the insurance company what the median in-network rate is. Sure, it's you a black box. We, we don't really understand where the data comes right. from because it's not our data. We're relying on them to say what the data is. So we've seen bills, not only in Georgia, but across the country, and I've, I've, I've spoken to my peers you know, across the country, and what they've told me is it's either what that in particular insurer has as a median rate or what multiple insurers have as a median rate. So when we sit there and say, well, can you share the data so we can look at what the median rate is? Can we verify it somehow? And there was, you know, we, we haven't gotten very positive responses. In fact, a couple years ago, we, we we tried to work with, you know, with the legislature, and they said, okay, well, let's let's give it to the Georgia Commissioner of Insurance to look at this information. And so the Commissioner of Insurance did a data call asking for median in-network rates. And then you got to watch: is it an HMO? Is it a PPO? Is it a POS? What type of plan is it? Right. right. And um, and the data that came back was very inconsistent. Um, and and even at the time we got the report. It was, well, the state is not usable. So how are we to rely on insurance companies to give us the data? I, that's the question we all have. 
And that's been the challenge. And I know Fair Health has a database, and we've we've advocated for Fair Health because in it there's bill charges, but in addition there's contracted charges and you know contracted rates. And so you've got the allowables, but you also have the bills, billables, and so. At least you have information you can point to and look at. That's right. That's a that's certainly a more transparent database that everybody right. has access to. Yeah, and especially because um, I, I have a letter from the American College of Emergency Physicians, and they noted specifically as to the when when the Georgia Commission of Insurance tried to do the data call, they acknowledged, hey, there was inconsistencies in this data. So that's always been the challenge that we see. Um, in addition, I was as as we were getting all these issues about United Healthcare, um, we we. We had um, a, a, a rural hospital told us that um, United is requiring the patients in that area to use their labs and not the labs within the community. So what that's forcing those patients to do is drive 45 minutes to an hour to get their labs done rather than having them done at that time. And I know that um, I was looking at this, this other letter from the American College of Emergency Physicians and the Emergency Department Practice Management Association, noticing all kind of challenges that have been going on with United in terms of downcoding and, and, and applying uh, different things um, that are having negative impacts on patients. Um, and so what, what can patients do in this? It, it's almost like they're defenseless. I mean, what, what, what's the patient's option in any of this? Right, I mean, when patients are in emergency situations, they want to go to the place that's the best, not the place that's the cheapest. And it's very difficult for them to understand where they should be going. And it's it's really up to the insurance companies and the providers to get together and leave the patients out of it and figure out a rate that is, uh, that is freely negotiated in the market. Uh, again, for example, they're the most acute care services, uh, whether it's stroke, whether it's STEMI acute heart attacks, whether it's trauma, are very expensive to provide because it requires around the clock subspecialists. For example, if you want to have a level one or a level two trauma center, you have to have a neurosurgeon available within 30 minutes, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day right. available to see that patient or an interventional radiologist has to be at the hospital within 30 minutes. There has to be a whole team of supporting people that have to race in from home. Right. All of that is is uh, is adds a lot of value to patients when you're on the table, but it's also very costly for the hospital to provide. If you don't have the ability to negotiate with insurers saying, hey, this is, this is what we're providing, this is the rate we need, and instead default to an arbitrary rate, um, patients are going to lose because they will lose that access. Right. And, and and that's and that's some of the bigger problems here when you're using median contracted rates right. because it's not necessarily taking into account complexity, mm -hmm. uh, specialization, and what have you. Um, that's in, right. In terms of the rate itself, correct. I mean, nobody expects to go into a dealership to buy a car and <clears throat> say, "Wow." That Porsche really goes fast. Um, I really like that car. Can I pay the median car price for it? Of course right. not. And there are services that hospitals provide, especially acute care services, that are very costly to provide. And comparing them to another hospital that may not have any of those acute care services, but able to do it at the services that they have at a much lower cost, aggregating those prices together doesn't make any sense. Well, let me ask you, Dr. Rao, because I, I wanted to make sure that, that, that we hit um, on surprise bills. Is there anything else that you would like to add about surprise bills based on your experience and what, what you know sure, that's going sure. on? So first of all, I completely support the notion that when a patient goes to a facility and they think that they are in network with that facility, 
and gets a bill from a provider that's not in network, that's a surprise to them. And we should figure out a way to get the patient out of that and have an independent dispute resolution, some way for the insurer or the provider to provide that service for the patient and keep them out of it. I completely agree. However, I think a lot of the legislation at the state and federal level has been hijacked a little bit in that the legislation we're seeing is does not just tackle surprise billing, which is an in-network facility and an out-of-network provider. Most of the legislation I've seen just says any facility that's not in network at all. So those are really two different things because one is how do you keep the patient out of a dispute between a party in an in-network facility, but what we're seeing is just showing up at any facility that doesn't have a contract with an insurance company triggers this kind of payment model, which is really quite different because our hospitals operate on such small margins. Um, not giving them the ability to negotiate with insurance companies is really a little bit different than the surprise billing aspect, which is a provider that's practicing at an in-network facility that may be out of network. Right, and, and just, just so that our audience knows, we're not sure. specifically talking about Georgia. We're talking about nationally. what's going on that's nationally, correct. what's correct. going on right, and all the different bills, because there's multiple bills nationally right. that right. have come out of the House, well, that, that come out of the committees of jurisdiction in the House of mm -hmm. Representatives, as well as the Senate has a, has a position out of their committee as well. Right. Well, Dr. Rao, I want to say thank you for taking the time to come today. Um, if you have any final thoughts, now would be the time. No, thank you for the Medical Association of Georgia for really explaining what is going on. I know the, the details of these bills can be very confusing, uh, but the legislators and the voters should know exactly what's going on inside of these bills so they can make smart decisions. And, and for the patients out there, um, at this time, we, we do know that um, terminations from United Healthcare are going on across the state. It's imperative that before you receive any treatment whatsoever right now that you are checking um, and calling United Healthcare to make sure that your physician in the facility is in state, uh, is in network right now. So please do that. And if you have any problems whatsoever with United Healthcare, please feel free to reach out to the Medical Association of Georgia. Um, again, I want to thank you for your thank time you. today. And to all of our listeners, we look forward to seeing you next time on our Top Doc Show. For watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues and family and friends. Remember to follow Mag on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget you can get past episodes of the show at mag.org backslash topdocs. From everybody at Mag, we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode of Top Docs.